0: You guys coming in here. We'll start after they get here. Most of the what we're going to do today will be the speeches, and so I hope that you all came ready to give your speech. Oh, this
1: is really <laughs> uh, I'm going
0: to need a timer for the speeches today. Uh, who uh, has a, a phone with a stopwatch that can be the timer? I'm timing all of them separately. Okay. Usually. What? Leslie, you'll be my timer. I will be. I will be. And I might just uh, ask for volunteers to come up uh, rather than do the uh, random number generator, since my normal person that handles that for me isn't here today. I did not come prepared, but let's see. We got Axel came in. Uh, let me do a little homework check here, and then we'll get on to the quizzes. Did you do the
2: reading? i Wait, question for you. To use the projector, do I have to have a drive? Well, or have... can I connect some other way?
0: Well, we don't have internet here, uh, so you have
2: to figure out how to use it. You've got to have access to the file somehow. Yeah, you have a hotspot, but can I just project it through hotspots hotspot then? It's um, probably um,
0: All right, so did you do the reading this week? I did. Okay. Can you do that and show me next week? Yes. All right, thanks, Chase. Well, if we have time, we will also continue our game from last week. I was given the scores that we've had left over from last week, but I don't know, since we have such a different group, we might have to form new teams and... Just start uh, back from zero again. Last week, the uh, the blue team of guys had 600 points. The red team of girls had 600 points. The green team of girls had 1200 points, and the yellow team of guys had uh, <coughs> zero points. So, yeah, the, the girls kind of beat up on the guys last week. Uh, tripled your score if you combine the teams. So we'll see. You got more guys here today. Maybe you can do. Uh A little better. (laughs) Um, So yeah, let's uh, go ahead and start with speeches. And so who is ready to come up and give their speech? All right. Or are you, uh, persuasive.
3: Uh, persuasive also? Yeah. Okay. Nice. You ready again? the will happen by chance, and everything in it, Broader scope of time is an accident. Does that statement summarize the creation of the universe and everything in it, or does this? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-1. Which theory, complex universe or random universe, has more evidence to support it? The answer should be obvious, in that the universe could not have happened by chance but there is evidence supporting a complex universe. Today I'm going to talk about three things. The random universe theory, the complex universe theory, and then I'm going to give evidence at the end to support the complex universe theory being true. First, the random universe theory. The random universe theory has two big supporting theories. The first being the, okay. the Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory states that the universe was nothing, there was absolutely nothing, and then a single point in this void became overheated, and over 13.7 billion years, we got what is our universe today. Does that sound like that could really happen? In my opinion, it couldn't, because you have nothing, and then heat just randomly creates stuff that can support life. That seems just absolutely absurd to me, and there is a scientific law, the law of conservation of mass, which clearly states that matter cannot be created or destroyed. How could there be nothing, and all this matter just happens to come when science has proven that matter cannot be created? The second theory supporting the theory behind the random universe is evolution. Evolution was originally created by Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin said that every living thing, monkey, man, dog, cat, was originally a single cell organism that over time, billions of years, just developed and it became what we know today. And I like to think of this as from monkey to man as the picture up there indicates. The biggest support of this is non-existent in missing links. Missing links are the crossbreeds of, like, over here you have a monkey, over here you have a man. The missing links, everything in between that was developed into what we know as man. The way I like to think about the, there's no evidence behind missing links, is there are millions of monkeys on the left end. There are millions of men on the left end. Where are the millions in the middle? The complex universe theory. Before I talk about the complex universe theory, just think to yourself for a second. What is one thing you think you take for granted in your everyday life? Just think for a second. And then, could anybody tell me what you think you take for granted? breathing, breathing, exactly, breathing. Oxygen atoms in the air make our life possible. Without oxygen, we could not breathe and we could not live. The oxygen atom is so complex, and so is every atom. There are eight electrons and eight protons, Ele- uh, positively charged um, oh, substances, And negatively charged substances that make the atom possible without one electron this would not be able to sustain our lives another thing i take for granted are plants how many times do you just walk and you crush grass on your feet in a day well in every blade of grass you crush there are plenty of plant cells which are just complex just look at this picture and if you think about it without that green wall surrounding the plant cell there the plant cell would explode and we would not have plants. So, how could this happen by chance? I don't think it could. I think there's an intelligent creator behind this because man can't truly understand everything in the world around us. How could this just happen by chance when we, what we think is the smartest creature alive, can't comprehend it. Another thing I think that we take for granted is photosynthesis which goes through a plant itself in the, the process of feeding the plant and then it gives us oxygen which is just combining two really complex things but which has more evidence to support it here you can see the complex university has god as the creator and this is seen in the most scientifically accurate historical book, the Bible. Like, the Bible clearly says in the very first sentence, God created the heavens and the earth. And the random universe has Big Bang, which the only evidence to support it is that our universe is expanding and scientists believe it. Even if God used the Big Bang to create the universe, and scientists are right about that, God is the creator and they just don't want to see that. The complex universe is seen in the complexities in our everyday lives. This is seen throughout science. Complex things that we can't understand are everywhere. While the random universe has evolution, which is believed by the mass of people because that's what they want you to believe happened. They don't want you to believe God created everything. And missing links to support evolution, there's no evidence. Sure, you can take bones from one animal and bones from another animal in a similar region and you can create a random animal. That's just going to happen. But there's no such thing as a living missing link. Thank you.
4: I have to stop working at the very
0: end. Okay. Nice. Amazing. So. Right. <laughs>
4: Uh, animal Farm. Book report thingy. <clears throat> All right,
0: you begin. Ready?
4: All animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. This is a quote from the book uh, Animal Farm by George Orwell, and I'm going to tell you about this book. The plot of the book is that a farmer named Mr. Jones owns a farm full of animals. The animals believe that they are cruelly treated and soon they want to rebel. And they take, they kick, uh, they rebel, kick Mr. Jones off the farm and start their own animal farm. My first point I'm going to tell you about is how the animals rebelled. The second point will be how the pigs took control after the rebellion. And third, the the parallels between animal farm and communism. My first point is about the rebellion. At the beginning of the book, an elderly pig named Old Major gave a rallying speech about how the animals were being cruelly treated, uh, overworked, underfed, and when they could no longer work, were cruelly slaughtered. He spoke of a dream that one day all the animals would be free of human tyranny. Soon after that, Old Major died, and the animals Although uh, unexpectedly, decided, er, uh, yeah, unexpectedly, found themselves at the, at the beginning of the rebellion. They rebelled, kicked Mr. Jones off the farm, and began the animal farm. They even had their own national anthem of a sort called Beasts of England. They set seven ground rules they called the Seven Commandments, which were one, whatever goes on two legs is an enemy, number two, Whatever goes on four legs or has wings is a friend. Number three, no animal shall wear clothes. Number four, no animal shall sleep in a bed. Number five, no animal shall drink alcohol. Number six, no animal shall kill any other animal. Number seven, all animals are equal. My second point I'm going to tell you about is how the pigs took over after the rebellion. The pigs, claiming that they were the smartest of all the animals, decided that they would take control of the farm and lead the other animals. They began the idea of animalism. Two of the main main pig leaders were Snowball and Napoleon. One of Snowball's main goals was to teach and educate the animals how to read and write, which was not very successful. Um, One of Napoleon's Uh, goals, or one of, yeah, one of Napoleon's goals was to train a group of young puppies in the ways of animalism. One day, Snowball and Napoleon got into a heated debate, and Napoleon decided it was time to take control and take over. So he called out his what were harmless, uh, innocent puppies, but now were ferocious uh, dogs who were trained to kill. He ordered the dogs to chase Snowball off the farm and banish him, and this was the beginning of Napoleon's control. Soon, the pigs be- started acting more and more like humans, and taking more and more from the other animals. Um, as the animals, slowly but surely, became more, felt more and more impressed, the pigs became the new Mr. Jones. As the pigs were tur- were turning more and more like humans, they managed to twist, break, and change every single one of the Seven Commandments. My third point I'm going to tell you about is the parallels between Animal Farm and Communism. In Animal Farm, the lower class, the animals, rebel against the higher class, uh, Mr. Jones. The animals represent the Bolsheviks, who rebelled against the Russian Tsar, the dictator, in the 1917 Bolshevik Revolution. In both situations, the uh, one group, or the group that leads the rebellion, after the, after the successful rebellion, sets the rules. At first, both, in, at first in both situations, uh, every, everything seems equal, but in the case of Animal Farm. Uh, Napoleon, with his dogs, takes control, and in the case of Russia, Stalin, with his military power, takes control of the country. Now you can see the cycle of communism. A a rebellion is sparked, a dictator is ousted, Uh, the leader of the rebellion then becomes the new dictator. In conclusion, I told you about uh, the animal farm rebellion, second, the pigs controlling, and taking over the farm led by Napoleon, and third, the parallels between animal farm and communism. I hope you now see the digression of communism. At the beginning of the book, the seventh commandment was all animals are equal, but by the end of the book, the only commandment left was all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Thank you.
0: Five thirty point four eight seconds. Five thirty. Even right in second five thirty. Oh, yeah. <coughs> right, two, five two point seconds. All right, thanks, Levi. Uh, who would like to go next? You're getting
1: a task.
0: Do you have a uh, illustrated oratory? Yes. Is it uh, persuasive?
5: Can I be helpful?
0: Hey, brother. All right. Is the time ready? Let's go. Uh, maybe...
1: Welcome to communism. Here on the east side of Berlin, the talk of the town is the new architectural improvement being added to the city. Turns out it's a 27-mile-long wall that cuts you off from civilization entirely. Ever wonder why? Hello, my name is Elise Schmidt, and today I'll be telling you about the history and methods of discouragement in the Berlin Wall, then introduce you to a few individuals who were able to outwit the system and get around all the government security. Let's start with history. Construction started August 3rd, 1961 to 1989, and the Eastern Bloc, the government in charge, told their citizens that it was built to protect them from the fascist enemies who were trying to prevent the will of the people. And thus they named it the Anti-Fascist Rampart. It reminds me of how it symbolized the domain of the Iron Curtain, or more literally, the Concrete Curtain. Now, let's look into some details. Danger Zone. First off, let's say, you, let's say you're in Easter Berlin, and you decide that you don't like it. You have no freedom, and everything is controlled by the government. If you decide that you want to leave, well, what's that going to take? First off, there's a concrete wall, 13 feet high, with a circular top. So even if you're great at rock climbing, it's going to be really difficult to get over. Second, there's a triggered fence so that if it's cut, it alerts the guards. Third, there are also uh, anti-vehicle trenches, uh, the strip of death, and Stalin's carpet, and I don't know exactly what that is, but it doesn't sound fun. Also, make sure that you can avoid the 116 bunkers and stay out of the sight of the 20 watchtowers. Make sure you cover up your scent for the dog patrol. Stay away from all border guards, and avoid the. Uh, and make sure you can hurdle over the bar wire and the anti-tank trench. Once you get past all that, make sure that you brought a ladder so you can get over the second wall going into East Berlin. Good luck. Let's meet a few individuals who somehow managed to escape. First off, Dirk, lifelong friends Dirk Decker and Kirsten Klunker looked in Berlin. When they saw the wall going up, they, it didn't take them too long to realize it was going to be trouble. However, instead of doing what they saw a lot of people doing, going to try, trying to go through, around, or under the wall, they simply headed in the opposite direction. At least 100,000 people tried to escape but only, but, and at least 200 died. But 5,000 survived. A few of those people were Dirk Decker and Question Kunker, who decided to windsurf out of West Berlin. They were the only ones who ever ever escaped. Over seven, around, it's hard to say, but somewhere between 17 and 189 people died trying to cross the Baltic Sea. Since there was no good no suitable gear for Dirk and Karsten. They simply made their own, and they set off trying to make their escape out of Germany. However, shortly after they started, Dirk realized that his gear had been been damaged, and knowing that it would be suicide to continue, he had to turn back, leaving Karsten to complete the mission alone. Karsten arrived safely and was left wondering what had happened to his friend. Had he been lost at sea? Dirk was able to repair his gear and set off shortly afterwards. When he arrived, he was confronted by a small fishing boat, which asked him, "Are you Dirk?" Having told the man yes, he learned that Karsten had made it safely and then sent out search parties for him. The next person is Harry Deatterly. He decided that if you can't go over it and you can't go under it, then you've got to go through it. He piled all his friends, he piled friends and family onto a train because he had noticed a small. Uh, He had noticed a flaw in the security around the Berlin Wall. There was a train track leading right up to the wall that hadn't been used. He simply applied for a job nearby, piled everyone he knew onto that train, took the air out of the emergency brakes, and sped through the station nearby. He brought himself and 25 people across into East Berlin, into West Berlin. Shortly after, the next day, the government deassembled the tracks so that no one else could do that. However, a time when they were shortly, uh, however, a time when they were, uh, it took them longer to respond, would be when Hans Mexter was trying to find a way across. He had a pass, but he needed to get his fiancee Margaret and her mother across. This was kind of difficult, and so, but he did. He was also able to notice a way through. While he was at the checkpoints between East and West Berlin there was a bar, making sure the cars couldn't cross unless they'd done all their paperwork. However, it wasn't entirely solid. And there was a gap underneath. Pretending just to ride his scooter by, he stopped at the checkpoint and pretended to fiddle with his engine, while actually measuring measuring the gap. It was 37.5 inches. Pretty small, but he thought he could do it. All he needed to do was find something that could limbo underneath. He found, After doing a little research, he found the Austin-Haley Sprite convertible, which was too tall, but all he had to do was remove the windshield. After he had taken his two extra large lo- pieces of luggage and added them to his vehicle, he started for the checkout. When the, pe- when the guards there saw him without a windshield on a kind of cold day, they were a little curious, but Hans simply ducked, pressed the gas pedal, and sped off into the sunset, leaving giant tire tr- tracks behind him. However, he wasn't the only one to do this. Norbert Conrad snuck his fiance Helga, across, but he simply loosened the windshield so that it wouldn't cause as much attention. However, what he didn't realize was that he was using the exact same car that Hans had used. Not only with the same trick, but the exact same car. In conclusion, I hope that the history, cruelty, and desperation previously mentioned shows you that communism is terrible These people were willing to risk their lives to escape. Communism hasn't happened here, yet. But be on your guard. Don't let it.
4: 637.
2: I
0: didn't
5: have that because he had my like, computer thing as well. All right, who'd like to go next? I can truth. No. Yes. What are you doing I'm doing it on Johannes Kepler. Ooh. I'm ready. Science is
0: ready. All right, you may
5: begin. Science is the process of thinking God's thoughts after Him. This is a quote of one of history's greatest mathematicians, astronomers, and astrologers, Johannes Kepler who was also a Christian and had his works entirely devoted to God. Um, Johannes Kepler truly was a great man. Um, And today we'll be looking at his life, uh, the three laws of planetary motion that he left for us and the legacy that he left behind and that still affects us today. But where did this great man start? Um, Although Johannes Kepler was a great man, he had very humble beginnings. Born on December twenty seventh, 1571 in Wilderstadt, Württemberg, um, in Germany, uh, Johannes Kepler was a very sickly child. He contracted smallpox when he was um, just a baby and was very, very likely to die. However, he ended up living, um, and one of his eyes um, was completely defective, which we'll go back to later on. Um, but he was a very, very intelligent man as you grew up to be, and you won a scholarship to the university um, in Tübingen, these names are terrible, um, but at a Lutheran ministry. So the plan was that Kepler was going to become um, a Protestant pastor or a priest, um, because this was you know, just 70, excuse me, not 70, 60 years before um, a man named, uh, excuse me, Lutheran, I can't speak. Um, had started the Protestant Reformation. Johannes Kepler was going to become a priest. Instead, he had grown um, quite a liking to mathematics and um, astronomy. And one of his, or his mathematics teacher, Michael Maislin, he recognized that. And he um, took an interest in Kepler, along with some other students. Mason taught Copernican thinking, which was still very, very controversial in the church that day, that the, um, that the solar system was a solar system. It uh, was heliocentric, and it all revolved around the sun, and not around the earth. Um, so Michael Mason he taught them that, and Kepler took this throughout his life. Um, after which, he went to Prague, to become a an astronomer and a mathematician, um, professionally, he met with the imperial mathematician Tycho Brahe, who um, was the like he was the chief mathematician, um, and I believe was also uh, very in depth with Copernican thinking. Uh, Tycho Brahe had both of his eyes working, and he was able to study the stars extremely well. However, the records that he kept, he kept very close to his chest um, and did not, let, uh, did not let Johannes Kepler, who was his assistant, see them. Um, however, still being a very bright, young um, astronomer, uh, Johannes Kepler still really wanted to get those records. Um, and after Tycho Brahe passed away, which there is some conspiracy that Johannes Kepler actually murdered him, um, all of this conspiracy, though. Johannes Kepler inherited all of his records and all of his charts um, and did some studying himself. He studied Mars, which was the super controversial planet back in that day because it revolved the opposite way that it should have. And this is where he came to his first two laws of planetary motion. And it was on this long, hard road um, with many trials that Kepler invented these three laws of planetary motion. The first is the law um, of ellipses. In the um, Protestant Reformation and the late 1500s to early 1600s, it was thought that with the earth as the center, excuse my terrible earth here, um, that the planets and the sun and everything revolved around it, but revolved in a perfect circle. This was not the case and was not at all what um, what Johannes Kepler both saw with his limited vision and read and studied in Brahe's uh, journals and charts. Instead, what he realized was an ellipsis. An ellipsis is sort of like an oval. Um, The focal point is not at its center like it is with a circle. They basically look the same here, but if you saw um, a literal or physical ellipsis as opposed to a circle, you would see the difference. The focal point is on one of two sides. And um, Johannes Kepler, he realized that with um, the heliocentric theory, the sun was at um, one of the focal points. And this led to his second theory, which came very shortly after, the law of equal areas. So with this ellipses, um, Johannes Kepler realized that uh, a planet's motion, take the Earth, for example, Would travel at a faster speed, pulling um, closer to the sun or the center of gravity, um, which he did not come up with the theory of gravity. That was Isaac Newton, later, much later, who was actually inspired by him. Um, Johannes Kepler came up with the theory of magnetism. He thought that um, everything was like magnetized together, I guess you could say. Uh, Isaac didn't realize this was false. And he came up with the series, but that's for a totally different speech. Johannes Kepler realized that a planet traveling around the focal point um, traveled faster, coming closer and slower farther away. This made it so that the um, the area traveled um, at one um, uh, at one area, say closer to the sun, would be the same traveled farther away. So the distance here is the same as the distance here. Um, That is the law of equal areas, that um, an area, or a specific area at one point, is the same as a specific area at another. Now, his third law of planetary motion came about 10 years later. And I apologize, I don't have the dates written down, um, otherwise I would tell you. And this one, I don't fully understand. If you become a mathematician or an astronomer someday and you figure this out, come back and tell me and explain it to me in layman's terms because I could not figure this out for the life of me. However, this is what it says. That the square of the orbital period of a planet is proportional to the cube of the semi-major axis of its orbit. That's gibberish to me. But I do know that it has something to do with the planets Relation to one another so if that was the Sun and the Earth was here It has something to do with the relation of say the Earth's orbit around the Sun To say Mars's orbit around the Sun Now those are just his three laws of planetary motion Johannes Kepler actually did many many other very great things Um, he worked with optics if you know Galileo Galilei he um or he invented the telescope. His invention was um, based off of Kepler's studies, actually. Um, Johannes Kepler explained how the telescope worked, um, and that uh, influenced Galileo's invention much later on. He also described magnification in a book um, titled Deoptris, which is also a term that we use in astronomy and um, optics today. He also studied snowflakes. He was the first to study Christology, which is how crystals form, and how um, he was the first to realize that a snowflake, each and every one, is individual. People thought he was crazy back in his day, but we realize now that he was completely right. Um, All these studies, we still use and realize today. Um, Another one of, or a big part of his legacy is the Kepler Space Telescope. Right now there are hundreds and hundreds of um, various, well I guess not hundreds, but there are many telescopes and many different satellites that we use orbiting the Earth and our solar system and even beyond. The Kepler Space Telescope is one of those far, far beyond. Johannes Kepler, being a man who studied the planets and their motion, um, that is why NASA um, decided to name this telescope after him. It is searching out uh, exoplanets and various other like planetary bodies in other solar systems far away. And it's with this telescope that we're uh, ch- attempting to find other planets that would be hospitable for human life. Um, it is with this telescope that we've learned that every single star, individually, has a planet. I hope you've realized what a great man Johannes Kepler is. Um, his Um, excuse me, his life and his own humble beginnings, his education, um, his three laws of planetary motion, which we've described here, and even the likes that he's left behind. Um, I will leave you off uh, with a quote from this great man. The wisdom of the Lord is infinite, as one also is his glory on... Excuse me, let me restate this. The wisdom of the Lord is infinite, As one also, his glory on his power. Ye heavens, sing his praises. Sun, moon, and planets, glorify him with your ineffable language. Praise him, celestial harmonies, and all ye who can comprehend them. And thou, my soul, praise thy Creator. It is by him and in him that all exist. Thank you.
3: Hips it! Hooray! No. it! Hooray! you You did Okay. Sam,
4: you didn't break the time bracket.
5: I'm very disappointed. You didn't make it to 11 minutes. Only 10 minutes 54 seconds. That's, that's so sad. 10.54? 10.54. I'll
4: break it for
3: you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's like,
0: I told you, Sam, 10 minutes. <laughs>
3: Oh I I
2: yeah. you know, I'll go next
5: Thank okay.
0: I actually do think one of those thank you. Okay. Alright.
2: Timers uh, ready? Yeah. All Alrighty. We are ready, go ahead, like alright. Okay, so I'm gonna be talking about Dolly and the sheep clone sheep that everyone has a controversy of it. So if you would just want to flip the slide to begin this off. Okay, so that's kind of hard to read, so I'll read it to you guys. Who is Dolly the sheep? Why is she so important? When was she born slash died? Just that information and why the controversy, right? Well, I'll just start off with the easy one. When was Dolly the sheep born? She was born in 1996 on July 5th and she lived for six and a half months, or six and a half years. So, who is she though? She is the first mammal clone to have ever been publicized. We don't know if anything happened beforehand, but it's very unlikely for there to be any clones of any mammals before that point. Uh, Why is she so important and why the controversy? Well, she was a breakthrough in science. Before then, it wasn't thought that you could even clone something. That was just a kind of a far-fetched sci-fi kind of fantasy. And they, the team that created Dolly proved that we are stepping into the future, right? And then why the controversy? Well, why not the controversy? If you can clone people, there's a whole lot of controversy there. Because who could say what? You could clone Hitler or you could also clone Einstein. There's two extremes, and that can be terrifying because you don't know who all could be having the power to do this, what their intentions are, and what they could clone. Or we could just have a Jurassic Park scenario where they clone dinosaurs and then let them run around. Next slide. But how is this possible, right? I'm going to oversimplify it because it is oversimplified by me. I'm proud of that. So, you've got your first sheep, right? I'm just going to put sheep one, because I can't draw sheep. Okay, you have sheep two. Okay, sheep one had a white face. That was just the notable differences between them, is one had a white face, one had a black face. That is just important when it comes to cloning to make sure that it's a perfect clone. That they're two very different sheep, so if it was a perfect clone, it would not have any features of clone two, right? They took cells from sheep one, right? Which, just oversimplification of a cell, right? You got your nuclei right there, right? From sheep one. They took an egg or an embryo from sheep two, right? They removed the nuclei of that and took this one and put it in there, artificially inseminating the egg. But both strands of DNA came from these cells. That those cells, there was a lot more trickiness involved because they had to get them to replicate into certain cells that can be used through that. Because otherwise, the cells, if they didn't become like, you guys ever hear of the, I can't think of what they're called right now but the cells that uh, when you're born with that can become anything in your body okay so when you're born there's a specific kind of cell that has the genetic, genetic code to become anything it needs to be in the body well they had to force these cells to turn into those cells so when they made this egg it would grow into a whole sheet not just its leg and so that was the biggest hurdle in science, and as soon as they did that it took them 277 tries but they were able to take this, fertilize the egg and implant it into sheep 3 which is another sheep, female sheep and this one carried the embryo and raised it and gave birth to it, right? They took 277 tries and now they can do it within a 10 to 20% ratio nowadays. So they've gotten pretty consistent with it. But, next slide please. The reason that there's the controversy, I know I touched on it a little bit, is because human cloning. Let's be real. Who cares if you can clone a sheep? Sheep are all the same. I mean, they look the same, they baa the same. They're sheep, right? Doesn't matter if they came from the same sheep or not. The concern is human cloning. What can we? Could we have a clone wars? Uh, could there be another Sam? Could there be Hitler? Could someone live forever if they could just clone themselves over and over again? Well, no. It's not as simple as that. Not only is it unethical to clone a human, not, uh, not only is it way harder than a sheep, just because people are so much more complex, because that's how God created us, but also, why? What's the point? Just because something has the same genetic code as you doesn't mean it's the same person because you are who you are for two reasons because of who god made you and the experiences you go through right so if i clone hitler that clone there might be something in his dna that makes him naturally more angry towards people or more hateful but he's not going to have the same experience he's not going to have the same memories he's not going to have the same desires that Hitler had, nor the influence that Hitler had, right? And then, the eternal perspective. I put my phone away and I'm going to pull this one up. From, uh, okay, you can't really read that on here, but it's got questions, right? Really good website. I'm just going to kind of briefly mention this because while researching this, I read through, and they just go through All kinds of Bible verses of how it's unethical. Like this, it talks about how the importance of people and their value and how you're devaluing them by cloning them. And it says, for God speaks in Isaiah as a prophet while he was still in his mother's womb. Also, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it just goes on, right? It briefly mentions some point, but I lost my point, where you are wonderfully and uh, skillfully made, right? That you are made in the image and the likeness of God. That you are unique, right? Why would you want to make a copy of yourself? Next slide, please. So what can we take away from this? What is the eternal perspective? Is this something to be feared? Because should we be worried that there's going to be 37 Blakes running around tomorrow? Or yes. 450 Levi's, both of you, split. There's split. What is our takeaway from this? Because I think everything should have eternal takeaway as Christians. Is this something that we should be worried about, that we're going to have 375 Bidens in the future running the country? Or where do we put our faith, and where do we play our chips? I go back to this. Psalms 53 or 53. 95 words. My brain just died there. Psalms 95.3. Thank you. It says in the Amplified Version. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. So what if cloning yourself can make you like God and make you immortal? Because you can do it over and over again. Because it says right here that our lord god is above all gods i don't fear an army of clone troopers because i got god and so do all of you thank you very much